are in week two of The Chosen, uh, which is our fall campaign. And what that means is that we're all doing the same thing. We've got the sermons that are lined up with the small groups, which are lined up with daily devotionals that go on. And, uh, and so we're in week two. The, the basis of this is the wonderful live stream television show called The Chosen. It's a story about the life, a depiction of the life of Jesus, and it's just different than any other Jesus story that I've ever seen. It's really wonderful. And so we had our first week of life groups. We've got about 30 different life groups that are meeting. And, uh, and so if you haven't found a group, it's not too late for you to get into one. And uh, let me just make this real easy for you. What you can do is show up here on Tuesday night or Thursday night or Friday night. Uh, just show up because we have groups that are going on at 7 o'clock. And uh, my group meets on Tuesday nights at 7 o'clock in the Team Vineyard Room. Luce Rogers is doing a women's group in the conference room Thursday night. Uh, my wife is leading a women's group. Charles is leading a, a, a general group in the, in the Team Vineyard Room. Uh, Lily Bonilla is, is leading a, bi- a bilingual group as well. We've, we've got Friday night. I think there's a bilingual group that meets on Friday nights in the Team Vineyard Room. So you can just, we'll just make it easy. Just show up Tuesday night, 7 o'clock, come to my group. I'll see you in the, in the Team Vineyard Room. We'd love to, love to have you. Um, and so this week we're focusing on episode two of The Chosen, and usually what you'll see over the weeks ahead is, is we're going to use it as an opportunity to focus on different individuals. Like last week we talked about Mary, in a couple of weeks we'll talk about Peter, and then Matthew, and Nicodemus, and we're going to do a week on healing, and the woman at the well. Uh, but I felt like this episode, kind of the main character was kind of the Sabbath right? The, the Shabbat meal, if you've seen it, it kind of really focused on, on the Shabbat meal, the Sabbath meal, as kind of like the main character of the show this week, kind of showing how all the, all the characters kind of interacted with the Sabbath. And I remember watching it and really being struck with how beautiful the Sabbath is. Like, we think of it as just simply a day of rest, right? But it's so much more than that. It's a day of rest. It's a day of worship, It's a day of community, right? It's an opportunity for you to really intentionally connect with the important people in your life. And I remember watching this and just thinking like, man, we've lost something. Like our culture, the fact that we don't do Sabbath anymore, that we don't do the day of rest anymore, we've really lost something. You guys ever wonder why there are the blue laws in Paramus? You know, Paramus is like one of the last communities that has the blue laws. And you go to Costco and you're like, well, why is it that I can't, like, I, I can buy food, but I can't buy a TV. What's going on? Well, that's like from, an, from another era. It used to be that blue laws affected every business. Everything was closed on Sunday because we almost, like as a community, we kind of kept the Sabbath. And so <laughs> that all comes from Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. This is the, uh, the Ten Commandments, all right? <clears throat> so God says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And so the Sabbath, again, you know, we think of it as just like a day of of rest, but it's actually a lot more than that. I think what I'm going to, I'm going to talk about the Sabbath, but not just as like, hey, here's this thing we need to do, but really to like think about how it affects kind of our whole life. So, so the Sabbath shows that you put, you're putting your trust in God. 
And, and so you would have, especially to an agrarian society, to a bunch of farmers, like farmers don't rest, right? It's 24-7. And so when you had a day where you didn't do any work and your animals didn't do any work and nobody did any work, it really, it really showed that you are trusting God with your whole life. You're like not working that one day and that's showing that you're trusting God with your whole life to be your provider. In the same way with tithing, you give God the first 10% and then you show that you're trusting God with all your income. And so there's a part of the Sabbath that is the thing about trusting God. And you might say, okay, well, I'm not a farmer, so I don't really know how that works. But, but maybe you have a job and your boss is really demanding. And so your boss, you know, one of the things that happened with the pandemic is that we all got connected to Zoom and, and remote. And so now it's like so many of us are on call like 24-7. Right? It's kind of like your boss realized, like, oh, I can, I can have contact whenever. And so maybe you have a boss who's really demanding and is just, you know, making you feel like you're on call 24 hours a day. Or maybe you're struggling, you know, because there's inflation and it's just kind of getting harder to make ends meet. And so maybe you feel like, I got to have two jobs. And you're like, listen, trusting God is good, but having a day to rest, that doesn't really work as I'm trying to get my business off the ground. Or that doesn't really work, you know, with, I, I can't like not work on, the, on one day a week and still pay all of my bills. But there's an aspect where it's like, do we trust God with our life? There's also time to rest. That we take time to rest. We need time to rest. We're living at this breakneck pace. And all of us, we know that like 21st century life is just 110 miles an hour. And so maybe like your day, you think about your tomorrow. You're going to get up in the morning and you're going to, sit in this like really stressful commute. Maybe you're going to be in a car on Route 80 trying to get over the George Washington Bridge, or you're going to be on a train, or you're going to be on a bus, and it's like stressful. Like so your week starts stressful. Then you go to work, and it's like work, 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 you know, all this. You can't get everything done. Then you go home, and you got to go back to that commute, and some of you are going to commute three and a half, four hours tomorrow. You know, and it's just going to like drain you. It just, it's really hard. And then you get home and you got to take your kid to practice and then you got to help with the homework and then you got to do this and then you got to answer some emails and then you get to 11 o'clock at night and you're just like, you literally haven't had a moment to catch your breath. Does anybody here know what I'm talking about? This is, this is how so many of us are living. And then it also is an opportunity for us to take time to intentionally sow into relationships with your family, with your friends, with your God, right? I mean, how many of you would say, well, listen, I'm in this crazy period of life right now, so my family, they understand. Like, when was the last time you took a couple hours and you said, hey, my goal right now is just to spend time with my spouse and to deepen our relationship or to spend time with my kids. Or I'm going to get together with my best friend. We're going to get a cup of coffee. We're going to hang out. Or I'm going to check in on my parents and spend some time with them. When is the last time that you did that? Because these relationships often get sacrificed in the altar of our busyness. And you might say, well, they understand. Do they? You know, at what point is it going to be just become that it just gets hardwired, just like, yeah, my dad was never around. My spouse is checked out, you know, and, and, so, and so taking time to be intentional about it. And so I remember watching this and seeing it more holistically and saying, man, it would be really good for us to do this. See, what it shows is that God knew what he was doing. Like in all the laws and all the things that God, like God gives us instructions not to make our lives smaller, but to make our lives bigger. 
Not to take things from us, but to give us things, to bless us. Jesus was getting into this argument with the Pharisees because they had all these rules about you can't do this on the Sabbath, you can't do this other thing. And he said, listen, you guys got it backwards. Mark 2.27, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Deuteronomy 30.19, God says this day, or or rather I think uh, uh, Moses, this day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I've set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. See, the commands of God, the instructions of God, it's like there's life and there's death. Who are we going to follow? Like, do we really think that if we just go the way our culture goes when it comes to the pace of life that we're living and how we're doing life, that that's going to lead to life? I mean, we know that it won't, right? We know that it leads to death. God says to us, choose life so that you may live. Now, there's this really cool story in the Old Testament. There was this king, this guy named Belshazzar. And Belshazzar, he was the king of Babylon. And so he was the most powerful person in the world at the time, right? The the king of the biggest nation. So he threw a party. And the purpose of this party was to celebrate how awesome he was. And hopefully you don't, you don't show, throw birthday parties to celebrate just your awesomeness. But that's, that was his day. And everybody came. And they're like, you're so awesome. And he's like, I know. And, uh, and so then in the middle of this party, all of a sudden the hand of God showed up. Like literally this like disembodied hand showed up and wrote on the wall. You ever hear the expression, well, that's the handwriting on the wall? That's where this comes from. So mene, mene, tekel. And so everybody's freaked out, and they're like, well, that got weird. What the heck was that hand, and what do these words mean? And so the king is, like, freaked out. What does this mean? Gets all of his wise men and his astrologers. and Nobody knows. They're like, we don't know. And so he's getting stressed out about this. And so his wife says, hey, listen, there's a slave, this guy named Daniel, this Hebrew slave. He knows stuff. Get him. He might know what it is. And so Daniel comes, and Daniel chapter 5, verse 26, here's what these words mean. Mene. God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. So that's what mene, mene, tekel mean. Now, God has numbered your days. We talked a couple of weeks ago, Psalm 139, all the days ordained for you were written in his book, right? God has numbered your days. And, and you're, you're, you've been weighed on the scales and, and you're found wanting. In other words, your life is out of balance. And so how many of us could have mene, mene, tekel set over our lives? All of us, we have days that are ordained, but are our lives out of balance? Are our lives out of balance? I found this very interesting website that tells you what, how much time of your life you're going to spend doing mundane things. Because there's so much, I'm not even getting into how much time we're going to spend sleeping. But do you know the average American is going to eat out 14,411 times during their lifetime. Now, that probably doesn't count Grubhub. If you add that, it's even more. But probably a lot of those meals isn't like sitting down in a nice restaurant with family and friends. It's probably drive through at McDonald's. It's probably like scarfing down a hamburger and just going about your day as quickly as you can. <coughs> the average life, the average American will spend 13 years and four months watching television. So that's a lot. That's, maybe that's even more with Netflix, because Netflix says, says, you know, kind of like, are you still watching? And it's just like, it hooks you and kind of keeps you. And it's like four seconds until the next episode starts, and you're like, all right, I might as well stay here. Um, you're going to spend, this one surprised me, you're going to spend five years of your life waiting in line. 
I, I was like, that can't be true. I double-checked it on some other things, and it was confirmed in other places. Five years of your life waiting in line. You're going to spend four years doing housework. Four, and you might say, no, my family's really messy. It's going to be seven years. It's going to be even more. You're going to spend one year of your life looking for lost items. Now, for me, that probably would be two years, but I have Find My Phone on my, on my Apple Watch, and so that saves me a lot of time. You are going to, you are going to drive 627,000 miles during the course of your life. Now, to go from here to California, that's 3,000 miles. So 627,000 miles, which means you're going to spend more than six months, more than six months of your life waiting at a red light. And so, so there's, I mean, there's, there's so many things that we just kind of have to do. And, and then you get all these other things that are kind of put on top of that. And so what ends up happening is our lives are out of balance. Our lives are out of balance. And when our life gets out of balance, the life gets sucked right out of us. And if we're burning the candles at both ends, our life is not shining as bright as we think we are because we're out of balance and it's going to lead to problems. So I, this is a, just a very practical message, but I think it's something that's very important for us to hear. So I've got five things, and I'll go through this quick. What happens when our life gets out of balance? What happens when we're stressed and we're exhausted? The first thing is this. The risk of sinful choices increases. So when you're tired, when you're stressed, when you're kind of, you know, when you're out of balance, it is a lot harder to say no to looking at pornography, right, when you're tired. When you're tired, it is a lot hard. It's a lot easier to say, you know what, I think I'm just going to get drunk tonight. I'm just going to get drunk and I'm just not going to worry about it. It's a lot easier for you to start that inappropriate relationship with that person that you work with. That person like, oh, they really make me feel good. They get me. When you're tired, when you're stressed, sinful choices increases. We see all the times the mudslides that are in Southern California, right? Dry Southern California. What happens is it'll rain like two or three days in a row. The ground isn't used to water, so the, so the ground gets saturated. And when the ground gets saturated, the ground gets unstable. And so what happens to us is we get saturated. We get out of balance. We've got too much going on. We're running here, there, and everywhere. And our lives get destabilized. Luke 21, 34 says, Be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing drunkenness and the anxieties of life, and that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. So we, got, we get tired. The enemy, he doesn't fight fair, right? we got to be aware of the schemes. He knows, and, and he kind of lays in wait, and he doesn't come after you like after you get baptized, right? That's not when he's going to come after you, when you're on a spiritual high. He's going to come after you when you're tired, when you're discouraged, when you're burned out, and sinful choices increase. The second thing is when I'm tired, my emotions are inconsistent. So when we're tired, when we're stressed, when we're out of balance, you know, think about it. If you're going somewhere and you get on the highway and you're on, you know, Route 80 and there's bumper-to-bumper traffic, but you've got some time, you've got some margin, you're just like, okay, whatever, you cut me off, go ahead, no big deal. But if you're in a hurry because you're going to be late, you get mad, and you might even have like a Christian bumper sticker on your car, but then somebody cuts you off, and you start engaging in nonverbal hand communications that does, it doesn't match up with your bumper sticker, right? What happens is when we get tired, when we get out of balance, we can get depressed. You ever have it where you just, it's like one more thing. Like all it takes, like the straw that breaks the camel's back, and you find that you're depressed, you find that you're anxious, you find that you're snapping at the people in your life. Job 9.25 says, 
My days are swifter than a runner. They fly away without a glimpse of joy. See, that's something that happens when our life gets out of balance. There's very little joy. Our emotions are out of control. Another thing is we are less productive. See, we think that by doing more, we're going to accomplish more. But we're like that person who's, who's chop, trying to chop down a tree, but they have a dull axe. And so they're just like hitting that tree as hard as they can, and they're not getting anywhere. And somebody comes up to him and says, hey, you need to sharpen your axe. And the person says, I don't have time for that. And they just keep whacking on the tree. That often is how we're living our life. The Bible has so much to say about this. I'll just give you a couple of verses. Proverbs 21.5 says, careful planning puts you ahead in the long run. Hurry and scurry puts you further behind. I love how practical the Bible is. Verse, Proverbs 19.2, a person without knowledge is no good. A person in a hurry makes mistakes. And so we think we're more productive, but it's actually the opposite. The fourth thing is we end up empty inside. We end up empty inside. We're just going so fast, and we just think, why am I working so hard? I thought this was going to satisfy me, but the more I do, the emptier I feel. Maybe you think like, hey, I've got this career, and I thought this career was going to satisfy me. This was going to be awesome. But you're so stressed and you just feel empty. And you say, you know what? I find that I'm spending the best years of my life just increasing someone else's bottom line. I'm empty inside. Or you have a family. And listen, kids are a blessing and it's a big part of our identity and our calling. But if, if our lives are out of balance and we're not enjoying our kids and spending time with our kids and, and being together as a family, we can just kind of feel empty. And feel like, you know what, I, I thought it would be different, but I just feel like I'm not appreciated and I'm just a chauffeur who's driving them around or I'm a human ATM machine and, and, and I'm empty on the inside. Psalm 39.6 says, We are merely moving shadows and all our busy rushing ends in nothing. We heap up wealth not knowing who will spend it. And the fifth thing is when we're living a life that's out of balance, we can't hear God. We can't hear God. You see, God is always speaking. I think God is always speaking. God is always wanting to reveal to us His presence, that He's with us, that He loves us. But when we're running around and we're, our life is out of balance, it's like a wall goes up that keeps us from connecting with God. And we need to just follow the advice of the psalmist. In Psalm 46, verse 10, it very simply says, Be still and know that I am God. Right, that we need to have, this is what happens like when we're hurried, when our life is out of balance, that we're just running and we don't hear God. We need to take that time to just let God speak, to sit in his presence and to worship him. Jesus was someone who was constantly under pressure, right? People were always coming at him. But he showed in his, in his very busy life, he always prioritized getting away with God, spending time with God, connecting with his heavenly father. He taught his disciples to do it too. Mark 6.31 says, Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. See, and he said, listen, guys, we can't live this way. Let's go. We need to rest. We need to connect with each other. We need to connect with God. Now, listen, here's the deal with this sermon, right? I started out, I said, all right, we're going to talk about the Sabbath. And you're just like, the Sabbath? What? Okay, what, what's that, what's that going to be? But now, listen, now that I framed it, like, I'm preaching to all of you guys, right? I mean, there's not one person here who's like, yeah, no, my life is perfectly imbalanced. I don't know any of this that you speak of, this running to and fro and being too hectic. No, 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 that's not me. This is something our culture ingrains this in us. 
And so what I want to do, and just listen, because again, it's like choose life, God's blessing, that God created the Sabbath for us. He created rhythms for us. He's the one who made us. He knows us. He knows what we need. And the way that we're living, it's not working, right? The way that we're living, like running here, there, and everywhere, just one question for you. How's that working out for you? How's that working out for your health? How's that working out for your relationships? How's that working out for your sense of fulfillment? And I think we all know it's not, but we just kind of feel, but I have to do this. I don't have a choice. I want to give you three things, three things, three biblical things that I believe can actually change your life. And I don't say that lightly. I think these are three things that if you do these things, it can change your life. The first is this, is that we need to stop believing the lie that more is better. Stop the constant push for more. See, the desire, this thing that we just think more, 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 I need more, I need more, I need more, it's kind of killing us, right? So, so we had this thing, like as a culture, in 2008, after the housing crisis, we had a moment of like sobriety where we thought, we're spending too much money, we're getting too much in debt, we're too leveraged in our houses, look at what it's done. It almost brought the whole economy down. And so we got better for a little while. But now, actually, we're worse now than we've ever been. When it comes to personal credit card spending, we set a record in 2020 for putting stuff on credit cards. We are on record in 2021 to do even more than we did in 2020. And so we didn't learn. You know what? The, the reality is that, is that we end up, we go on these vacations and we got to have this and we got to have more and the other thing. And so then we end up putting so much pressure on ourselves that we got to work extra hours and have that other job. And so then all the people in your life, you're just kind of two ships passing in the night and you're not connecting. And, and listen, I am not saying this to anyone in particular. I just want you to know, no, no spouse contacted me and said, you need to mention this. You need to bring this up. This is, this is not to anyone specifically, but to all of us generally. Your kid does not need to be on four soccer teams. They don't, they don't need, like two would be good, right? We'd just be like, all right, well, well he's, on the, he's on the, or she's on the, the like local team, the town team, and the school team, and the traveling team, and then there's this great other opportunity for another team. And then, you know what, then after all these soccer practices, and we get up at 3.30 in the morning so we can get to all these soccer practices, then there's SAT prep, and then there's this, and then there's the other thing. What are we teaching our kids? Like, seriously, we know this doesn't work. We know we're paying a price, but we are discipling our kids in this lifestyle. And here's like a homework assignment. If you, especially if you have little kids, here's something you need to do. You need to take your kid, the weather's still nice, you need to take your kid into the backyard, Leave the iPad in the house, leave the phone in the house, and you bring them into the backyard and you say, Jimmy, Mary, Johnny, whoever they are, here's some dirt. <laughs> Play in the dirt. Knock yourself out. Here's a little, like, you know, dump truck or something to play. You go ahead. You play in the dirt for an hour or two, and then I'll come back and I'll check on you, right? What is it that we're teaching our kids in this, in this constant thinking that we need to have more? Ecclesiastes 4.6 says, Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Let me say, this is like the word of God speaking wisdom that our culture desperately needs to hear, that we desperately need to hear. Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Here's another one, Proverbs 20, 25. It is a trap to dedicate something rashly and only later to consider one's vows. Here's what I mean by this, right? 
There are so many opportunities. And so we have so many times where somebody comes to us with a great opportunity and we say, okay, yes, I'll do it. And then it's like we make that commitment, and then after we make it, we say, what was I thinking? My life is already out of balance. I don't have enough time. What was I thinking? And listen, we know it's way easier to get into something than it is to get out of something, right? It's way easier to get into a relationship than it is to get out of a relationship. It's way easier to get into debt than it is to get out of debt. It's way easier to gain weight than it is to lose weight, right? And so we need to understand (coughs) that it is okay for us to say no. Like no is a complete sentence. You can say, like if somebody comes to you with this great opportunity, or like we're all people pleasers and it's hard for us, but we need to learn, if we're going to live a balanced life, that we need to be able to say, oh, this sounds like a great opportunity, but no thank you, this doesn't really work for me right now. End of sentence, stop. And then say, well, no, but what about this? No, thank you. This isn't really the best time. No. End of sentence. That's the end of it, right? That we need to learn how to say no to things. The second thing that we need to do is stop the constant push for more. And then driving back to the heart of what I'm trying to say today and what kind of launched me on this, we need to keep the Sabbath day holy. We need to get back to that. Because that's what I thought this episode captured so beautifully, like the wisdom of God in the Sabbath, a day of rest, but way more than that. Exodus 20, I'll read it again, verse 9 to 10. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son nor your daughter nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. And so you work for six days, But one day you rest. One day you don't work. It is holy. It is set apart. Now, I think the way this could work for most of us, because, you know, we're not farmers and we're living this kind of different lifestyle, but probably the majority of us, right, you work five days a week for your employer. And so you work five days a week for your employer, and then you have one, and maybe that's nine to five, Maybe it's a demanding job. Maybe it's like 7 to 7. Maybe it's 7 to 11. I mean, who knows? But you work five days a week for your employer, and then you work one day a week for yourself. You have one day where you do the yard work, you do the housework, you do the household budget, you do all the the honeydew list, all the things that kind of accumulate. Five days for your employer, one day for you, and then one day to rest, to keep the Sabbath. Now, in our culture, it's always been Sundays. And so probably for the majority of you, Sundays would be a good day to do it. Now for me, Sundays is not the time to do it. Sundays is the hardest. I got here at about 6.45 this morning. There are some Sundays where I don't leave. Like if there's like a Spanish growth track, I don't leave until 4 o'clock in the afternoon. I listen to that Lionel Richie song, Easy Like Sunday Morning, and I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. What, that is a four, what do you mean, Easy Like Sunday Morning? I don't get it. So I do Saturday. So my wife and I, Saturday is our day to spend time and to be together and to rest and to not do work. And so for you, if it's Sunday, and if it's not Sunday, maybe you're a cop or a nurse or whatever, well, have it be another day, but have it be a day. And so if it's Sunday, you come to church and you worship God. And so you guys, your Sabbath is off to a great start. And then you have a meal. Remember, like, remember Sunday dinner? Like Sunday dinner used to be a thing, right? Where you have like the biggest meal of the week. And you have all the good food, and you have the desserts, and maybe you have your parents over, and you have some other friends over, and you make like a big deal out of Sunday dinner. 
And then when dinner's over, maybe you go and you take a walk with your spouse. And you take a walk with your spouse and you say, what's your name again? And you're like, oh, okay, yeah, no, I remember that from the wedding. What's going on? How you doing? And you reconnect. Or you spend some time with your kids. Or maybe you take a nap or whatever it is. You, spend, you find some time to be with God. Maybe you take a walk with God. Maybe you take a little extra time to like read your Bible. Maybe you think about your life. Maybe you take a little bit of time and you think about your life and the balance of your life. But here's the thing. If it's a Sabbath, you don't work. You don't work. You don't answer the emails. You don't like, well, but the market's opening. So, you know, I got I to gotta figure, I got to do this, I got to do that. No, no, no. You, you do that on Saturday. You do that on another day. The Sabbath is a holy day that's set apart so you can connect with God, connect with people so that you can rest and so that you can show that you trust God. And maybe I can hear some of you saying right now, that's not going to work for me. That's not going to work for me because my boss will never understand it. Well, you know what? The Bible says this. It says this in Proverbs 10, 27. Reverence for God adds hours to each day. Here's what I'm saying. You might say, my boss would never understand. Well, you know what? God can make your boss understand, or God can get you a new boss. And then you'd be like, I like my new boss a lot. Or maybe God will make you your own boss. Or, you know, who knows what God will do. But, but reverence for God adds hours to each day. Maybe you say, well, but listen, I mean, times are tough. I got to work. I'm driving Uber on top of everything else or whatever it is you're doing. Listen, you take that day and you say, I'm going to honor God with the Sabbath. I'm going to really, it's holy, it's set apart. God will add days. God is going to make it work. We can trust that God is going to make it work. You see, God didn't rest on the seventh day because he was tired. God rested on the seventh day because he wanted to model something really important to us. And this whole thing, like the Shabbat, the Sabbath, it's supposed to mark the people of God. That as everyone is running around like a chicken with their head cut off, that the people of God are different. That we're not living according to the demands of the culture or the rhythms of the culture. We're following God. And then maybe, you know what, in all the hecticness and craziness, maybe people will be like, there's something different about you. What's going on? You, you seem peaceful. You don't, how old are you? You don't have a lot of wrinkles. What's going on here, you know? And, or, you know, that there's, a, there's a, a joy that you have. You like smiling all the time, and it seems sincere. You take an interest in people. Like, what's going on? And say, well, you know what? I'm following God. Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about this life that I'm living, following, trying to live my life according to God's wisdom. And the last thing is this. The last point is this is get close to Jesus. Get close to Jesus. I'm going to show you a clip from the, from the show. And so this is the end of uh, this, the, the second episode. And so in it, you see the, you see the Shabbat, right? And, uh, and so you see that you have uh, Peter, who's got the whole thing that's going on with trying to fish to, to pay off his taxes. And so he goes and he works on the Sabbath, showing that he doesn't trust God. He leaves the Shabbat dinner early to go fish. You got Matthew, who, because he's a tax collector, is separated from his community. He goes and he tries to have Sabbath dinner with his parents. He's rejected. He ends up eating it with his dog. Uh, you see Nicodemus, who's with all the fancy religious people, and, and it's kind of like corrupted, and it's kind of more about posing. And then you have Mary. Remember Mary last week, she has seven demons. Her life is a mess. She meets Jesus, and her life gets, she gets healed, and she gets restored. 
And so now that she's restored, she's going to celebrate the Shabbat. She's going to host a Shabbat dinner. And she's nervous because she hasn't done it since she was a child. She invites a couple of her friends over, but then she gets some surprise guests who show up. So let's watch the scene. Thank you, Miss Maddie. This is a fine place. Oh, thank you. Are we on? Is it still on? Yes, Shula. How did you find us? I followed that mule, Barnaby. <laughs> Not that he waited. Looking as handsome as ever, Barnaby. Come. Lucky guess, Shula. <laughs> is this the place? If Maddie's here, it is. Do I know you? Oh, sorry, I'm, I'm James. This is Thaddeus. We were told this would be a good place to come. We can leave if it's awkward. Oh, oh no, oh, please come in. You're most welcome here. So, can we help? Oh, no. Well, uh, yes, I... I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I see food. That's a victory. If I'm not doing something or doing something wrong, you tell me. Oh, nonsense. It's already great. I can't remember the last time I was invited to a Shabbat dinner. Me, never. you never been to Shabbat? Of course I've been to one, been to lots. Just never got invited. <laughs> <laughs> Who's the extra seat for? Oh, uh, for Elijah, am I right? I, I remember my mother always setting an extra place for Elijah. That's only for Passover. Just once a year at Seder. Oh. Well, when Seder comes, I'll have a head start on setting up. just... <laughs> <laughs> Notes. <laughs> Let's see. Can I read it for you, Mary? Stop it, Barnaby. I read better than you. <laughs> My father taught me. Very impressive. <sighs> uh, oh, uh, is the first star out? Yes, let's eat. Like I said, you are very popular. Or it's a Pharisee here to shut us down for letting you be here. Hello, Mary. Hello. It's good to see you. Yes. Yes. I don't want to be rude, but would it be okay if, if I... Oh! <laughs> yes, of course. Please come in. I just never thought you'd... Um... I, I have guests here. Uh, this is my first time. I don't know what I'm doing. Rabbi. Rabbi. You already know these men? They are students of mine. I trust they have been polite. Of course. Your guests can take the seat. Yes, Mary? Oh, of course. <laughs> yes, of course, please have a seat. I keep saying of course a lot. <laughs> um, Francis is the man I told you about who, um, who helped me. Oh, yes, yeah, Mary told us so much about you. Oh, I hope not too much. I'm Barnaby. This is Shula. She is blind. Ah. In case you couldn't tell. I'm, I'm so sorry. I, I don't actually know your name. I'm Jesus of Nazareth. Huh? Well, apparently something good can come from Nazareth. <laughs> Mary, I'm honored to be here. Why don't you begin? Oh, no, I, I couldn't now that you are here. You must 
Thank you, but this is your home. And I would love for you to do it. Now the heavens and the earth were completed and all their hosts. And God completed on the seventh day his work that he did. And God, and God abstained on the seventh day from all the work he did. And God blessed the seventh day and he hallowed it. For thereon he abstained from all the work that God created to do. Blessed are you, Lord our God, ruler of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. You have lovingly and willingly given us You have lovingly and willingly given us your Shabbat as an inheritance in memory of creation. Because this is the first day of our holy assemblies in memory of the exodus from Egypt. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth the bread from the earth. Amen. 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 So we had... Um, my first life group on, on Tuesday, and, and, uh, and so we were talking about, that we'd watch the scene, and then we're talking about the scene with Mary where, where Jesus had revealed himself to her, right? Remember, she'd gone by Lilith, but he called her by name, he called her Mary, and then he quoted the Bible verse that was the words that she remembered when she was a little girl, and, and it ended with saying, you are, you are mine, and then he healed her, and he set her free, and, and so I, I said to the group, I said, you know what I've discovered? is that people who really center their life on Jesus in a way that experiences the, the fruit and the blessing and the good things that come from Jesus are people who have had a real personal revelation of who Jesus is. That Jesus is not just kind of the Savior of the world or for God so loved the world, you know, but you begin to understand it's not just kind of my, my religious lifestyle or my system of belief or, or whatever it is, but Jesus revealed himself to you as your creator, your redeemer, the one who loves you, the one who's called you by name. And, and as that personal revelation unfolds, that's really where our life changes. And so we just had this beautiful time. If we went around the room and people were just telling their story, when Jesus became real to them, when Jesus became personal to them, and so if we're trying to live that balanced life, it really it comes down to Jesus at the center that you spend time getting to know him, that part of your life, yes, do it on the Sabbath, but not just on the Sabbath, where you sit in his presence. You just sit in his presence. Just let him reveal himself to you. Get quiet so you can hear his voice. Spend some time worshiping, worshiping him, realizing that he's your shepherd. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. See, that's what Jesus wants to do for you. He wants to make you lie down in green pastures. And all the craziness and the hecticness and the brokenness and all that, he will make you lie down. 
He'll lead you beside still waters. He will restore your souls. Jesus said this in Matthew 28, verses 28 to 30. He said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And listen, I know that's all of us. I don't think there's anyone here who would say, yeah, no, that's not me. I'm not where I'm good. I'm, I'm not weary. I'm not burdened. Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, what Jesus is talking about here with a yoke is it was common in those days. You'd see two oxen. And they'd be yoked together. And what that means is there'd be a piece of wood and one would go around, one piece of it would go around the neck of one ox and then another piece would go around the other ox so they'd be connected. And so then they could plow the field together. And see, this is what Jesus is offering us. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. Connect your life to me. And then what you're going to find, you're going to give me your burdens, your problems. I'm going to carry them because I'm Jesus and I'm really strong. I'm like the strong ox in this relationship, and I'll take your burdens and I'll carry them. And the one thing that we know about Jesus is he is the perfect embodiment of the fruit of the Spirit. So that means Jesus is full of life and joy and peace and goodness and self-control, all the fruit of the Spirit. And as we are yoked to him, what we find is that his life starts rubbing off on our life. I mean, what an incredible deal. Like, seriously, it's not like, what an incredible deal. Jesus, the creator of the universe, says, listen, you yoke your life to me. Like, I'm going to come alongside of you, and I'm going to take your yoke. We're going to be connected. And you give me all the junk that you're dealing with, all the stuff, I'll, I'll carry it for you. And all the good stuff that I have, that's going to start flowing into your life. That's what it means for us to keep Jesus at the center. That's what it means for us to know him. Isaiah 63, I'll end with this. Isaiah 63, verse 14. Here's God's heart for you. Like cattle that go down to the plain, they were given rest by the Spirit of the Lord. So God wants to lead you to a green pasture, a plain full of abundance and food and rest. God wants to give you rest. And it is a win-win situation. See, this is how you guided your people to make for yourself a glorious name. See, we get the rest. God gets the glory. We get his strength. God gets the glory. We get the peace. God gets the glory. And see, the way that it works, like I said before, people are going to say it's going to stand out. Because the way our culture is right now, the way people are living, the stress levels being through the roof, the anxiety levels being through the roof, people are going to notice. And they're going to say, what's different about your life? How is it that you're peaceful? How is it that you have the strength? How is it that you stay positive? And we're going to give God the glory and have an opportunity to say, let me tell you about my Jesus. Because you know what? I'm following him. I'm centered on him. I just want to say this. Listen, and I think maybe there's somebody here who really needs to hear this. Jesus loves you. Like, he loves you. Like, he, he loves you. Not just, yeah, he loves the world, but he loves you. And he has seen everything that you've gone through. And that, like, this, like, it's so beautiful, like that moment when Jesus is at the door and Mary's like, you're the one who set me free. You're the one who knows me. And like, like, Jesus wants to have that moment with you. He wants you to know that he knows you. He has seen all the stuff, like all the, all the junk that you've had to deal with. 
All the times that you felt like you had to give up, you didn't feel that you had the strength to go another day, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you felt the strength to go. See, that was Jesus lifting you up and keeping you going. He wants to reveal himself to you, and he wants you to know that he's for you. And he, the plans that he has for you are good plans. He wants to give you, he wants to prosper you. He wants to give you a future and a hope. But it starts with us yoking ourselves to him. And so I want to give you an opportunity. I want to pray for us right now. And I just want to pray that Jesus will generally to all of us reveal his heart to us. Because I just sense the spirit of God in this room right now in a very personal way. And so Lord, I just pray in Jesus' name, God, you know where we're tired God, you know where we're broken. You know where we're, we are weary. And so, Lord, I pray that your strength, as we are yoked to you, I pray that we would feel your strength. I pray that we would feel your love, feel your peace, God. We give you our burdens. We give you our out-of-balance lives. God, we love you. We thank you, and we just declare that we need you. And I just sense, I'm just going to be quiet here for a moment. Some of you is like, I don't believe that. I've never seen such a thing. But I think that God wants to speak personally to you. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd speak to us right now and just tell us, tell us what we need to hear from you, our shepherd, in this moment. I trust that God said something to you. He just, he said something to me that kind of surprised me that I needed. It's good. But listen, you know, the Bible says that Jesus stands at the door and knocks. And if we open up the door of our heart, he's going to come in. And so he comes in and just like he came in to Mary's house and sat at his table, he wants to come in and sit at your table. And he wants to yoke his life to your life. The great trade-off, you give him your burdens, he gives you his strength. So if you've never done that, I want to give you an opportunity to do that this morning. Maybe you came to see someone get baptized and you're just like, I don't know, they're doing this weird religious thing. I'm going to come check it out. But God is speaking to you right now and saying, hey, I love you. I'm for you. I want to help you. And so if you just want to open up your heart to Jesus, just pray this prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, I need you. I've been living life on my own. And I don't want to do that anymore. I want to be yoked to you. I believe you died on the cross in my place. I believe you rose from the dead and you're here right now. I accept your free gift of salvation. Please come into my life and change me from the inside. I want my life yoked to you. Because from here on out, I'm going to follow you. Just keep your eyes closed. But if you prayed that prayer, just raise your hand. If you prayed that prayer this morning, just raise your hand. All right, awesome. And I'm going to ask you to do one more thing. 
If you have a physical connection card, you'll see on the back there's a box that you can check where it says that you decided to become a follower of Jesus. If you do that, we'll email you something. We'll send you some stuff. We'll say, how can we pray for you? We'll just try to encourage you. If you sent in your connection card via the app, you can go back into it and you can edit it and you can, you can check off, decide to become a follower of Jesus and, and, and that'll, that'll get to us, all right? Uh, we're going to close the service right now just giving people an opportunity to get prayer. <coughs> Folks from our prayer team are going to be over here to my right. And just especially, listen, I know some of you came in here today really weary, really burdened, and and this message is for you. God wants to give you rest. God wants to take your burdens. And so I just, there's all you, whatever you want prayer for, you can get prayer for, whatever it is. But I think some of you, God would have you leave your burdens at the feet of Jesus this morning. And a way that you can do that is just go and help somebody, let somebody pray with you. And together, you guys can give Jesus your burden, give him your yoke, and take his. All right, God bless you guys. Congratulations to all of you who were baptized. I think next baptism, we may have to have two tubs on either side of the stage. I don't know. We're going to have to figure something out. But God bless you guys. Have a great week, and I'll see you soon.